0: Listen up, son. You are listening to Getting Down with Chris Brown, removing the barrier between entertainment and education. You better start listening. You wanna play rough? (gasps) Say hello to my little friend. What is good? Okay, so there is absolute craziness going on in the world right now. Riots running wild. A lot of stores, cars, suburbs, families, entire life's work and more getting absolutely destroyed all over the world, mostly in the US. This fucking loot is running an absolute muck. People being killed and more. But in more important news today... We are going to dive down into one of the greatest sports marketing campaigns, and it might be a little bit different to something that you are expecting. Okay, there's so much bullshit going on on social media. All these people uploading um just blank, black photos and so on. So, but like, I think we need we need a bit of a uh, a bit of entertainment and an education. And- So lately, there's been a crazy resurrection in Michael Jordan, Space Jam, and the Chicago Bulls after The Last Dance premiered on Netflix. And as I was driving to Carindale Shopping Center on Saturday, they were pumping the Space Jam song on the radio. Such a banger. And as, as I was walking around, I even spotted a number of shops selling Chicago Bulls jerseys and even the Space Jam jerseys. To Space Jam. But to be honest, I actually forgot how much of a Don MJ was. He was, uh, you know, in, in his prime in 1990. So that's the year I was born. And he was already absolutely killing it Them, And he got inducted into the Hall of Fame by the time I was nine years old. But as a kid, we used to get down to, space jam. to space jam, and even the movie Like Mike, when that came out with Little Bow Wow, they're some bangers for days. But I have set, uh, like, after watching the footage from MJ, I've never seen anywhere near as much footage as the, the Netflix premiere, The Last Dance. That goes Deep down into into MJ, the Chicago Bulls, Scottie Pippen, uh, and yeah, he was a bad motherfucker. <coughs> he was like head and shoulders above everybody, dunking on everybody, and like thriving in such a way that I don't think it has even been emulated today. I like like seeing about Michael Jordan how he would be so switched on. He had such high standards and he had like tunnel vision for what he wanted to achieve, but he would still be smoking fat cigars, betting like a bookie, and enjoying the actual process. Like he's always smiling, having a laugh, taking the piss out of everyone. But he has a good time. So if you haven't seen it, 100% hit up uh, The Last Dance. But warning uh, when we finished the last dance, I was here in Brisbane watching it with my sister and my stepbrother and uh, my brother in law but uh, we we try watching space jam after we finished the series don't do it it's way too difficult to stay engaged in uh, like it's it's like kind of watching old movies again they just like they were good when you're like you know eight years old, but watching that today. We got about 15 minutes into it and it's just a, <coughs> it's just a bit slow. Yeah. So don't don't do that, but definitely hit up the last dance. But it's quite obvious that sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit sick. I'm a little bit fluey, so uh bear with me. But um what I was saying, it's quite obvious MJ he started a uh, marketing fashion and sneaker revolution. <clears throat> Going to school in Australia, I hardly ever saw Jordan sneakers worn casually. Besides, like people playing basketball, like usually they weren't worn, worn too much. It was more, you know, when we were younger, like skate shoes, Globes, etnies, um, and and so on. Not not many Jordans. Besides, when we, when we used to go to the um, the basketball courts and people who used to play it properly. But then you go to America and Mexico and they are everywhere. Like they froth over them. Obviously, there are large fashion differences between cultures. Um, But in in Australia, they, you know, differences like wearing shorts above the knees. And in America, they froth over baggy ass shorts. (coughs) Some say that MJ even invented the style with the baggy ass shorts. As for a long time, everyone at basketball, they would be wearing like the short, kind of daisy jukes, like, way above the above the knee. Um, but as MJ's career unfolded, he wanted to wear his North Carolina shorts underneath, so he asked for the longer shorts, um, so he would feel a bit more comfortable. And then from 1989 to, no, to the no, uh, 1990 season, he started repping the baggier style, which was followed by Scottie Pippen. And soon enough, the trend was set. I guess trendsetters. But I remember when eight of my mates and I, we traveled to different parts around the US. And a number of different times, we would get asked why we would wear our shorts above the knee. We told them, it's fashion, baby. Come on, get with it. And uh, these fashion differences even led to us getting in, in a fight in New York. So we all went to a New York Yankees game one night. We were obviously on the beers Raging, going pretty hard, having a good time, but it turns out that baseball is boring as shit. I guess you could you can compare it to a foreigner going to a cricket test match and sitting there waiting to see some action. If you don't really, if you, uh, like, if you don't grow up watching it, it's kind of a little bit boring. And like, especially our seats were all the way across from the diamond of where they actually hit and, and throw. And they're not, there definitely wasn't much action going on. So we started to get a little bit rowdy due to the boredom. <clears throat> and then another group of American lads, they started chirping since two of our mates in the group, they had piercings in their noses. Not like weird septum rings, but like, like small diamonds on the side of the nose. You know, it's quite it's fashionable. So I guess they were the the fashion setters, but yeah, we started Ging them up a bit, and we, we were chirping back to them, showing these frat boys that we were the alpha and they were the beta. But uh, it was about to end in in all in brawl, but then security guards they broke it up. And all I know is that they took a few of us to to different exits. So, I know that they... Yeah, I I just got pulled out. uh, And they threw me out. And then it's in the smack central of the Bronx. It's like ghetto as fuck. I remember when we were even... I think we got off the bus. And then we're walking down towards uh, Yankee Stadium. And then, like... There was eight of us. But we're, like, fucking heads down. Because it was just, like, gang gang shit all around. But, yeah. I remember I got... Taken by a security guard uh, Kicked out the door Uh, A few few others at the same time But it kind of happened quickly So I didn't know what the fuck was going on with the rest All I knew that I was by myself And like I probably didn't want to be walking around the Bronx at night time So And at the time we didn't have iPhones So we couldn't just call each other I was stranded and didn't know where the fuck Anyone else was If they had got kicked out If they'd got back in or what So I was like fuck it I'll get a taxi back to where our hotel was and there was like a massive strip club that uh we had been driving back all the time past and it always looked busy and I'm like okay I'm stranded I've got no no phone I don't know where anybody else is so I just got a taxi there and then I was like right across the road from uh, our apartments so anyway Right as I pull up in a taxi, another two taxis pull up and it was two of the other lads who had just got kicked out. So, within 10 minutes, the entire squad was there. Great minds think alike. Um, And, yeah, it was, I guess it was good timing because, like, I think, like, five five of us got kicked out all up and then three were in there, but they left since it was boring. And... It was a great night of baseball which ended uh, due to these dumb frat boys obviously not watching enough Dennis Rodman and catching on with the jewellery, eh? But back in 1984, MJ, he had come off a tremendous season at the University of North Carolina where he was voted the College Player of the Year. He also led USA to receiving a gold medal at the 1984 Summer Olympics. So at this stage, he was hot property. And um, as MJ said in the last dance, he initially, he, all he used to wear was like Adidas. He was an Adidas guy. And then after the Summer Olympics, he was getting offers all over the place from Converse, from Adidas, from Nike and Footwear, as well as Coca-Cola, McDonald's, uh, Chevy. They were all lining up so they could pay him to endorse their products. But so MJ, he was leaning towards Adidas. But uh, he also, he went to the interview with Converse as they had a bit of uh, leverage since they'd already paved the way for Magic uh, Johnson and Larry Bird back then. But um, M- MJ, he wasn't too keen on that because he knew he wouldn't be like a standout star being, uh, being in the same companies, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. And MJ's manager, David Falk, he was motivated to create a deal with Phil Knight's Nike. So MJ wasn't leaning towards Nike at all. So David Falk, he went to MJ's parents, got in their ear, started yapping, and they are the ones who convinced MJ to go on a flight to Oregon, Oregon and just see what Nike had to offer. You know, as they say, options are good. So when MJ arrived at the Nike offices, they displayed a highlight video of him from North Carolina and the Olympics. Uh they had some like meetings and discussions with the managers of the brand who were more likely um they they would have done a a badass, you know, pitch to him on what great business they can create together. Um and I guess they'd done such a good job that after MJ walked out, he was like, this is it. I don't need to go to any more meetings. So obviously, he, he wasn't leaning towards Nike. But Nike, they, they closed the deal with him. So firstly, have a think. Would Nike have acquired MJ if they were not great communicators, negotiators, and put on a great presentation for him? No, absolutely not. He would have gone with who he liked in the first place, which was Adidas. But Phil Knight, the co-creator and CEO of Nike, he put together a promotional squad to go over ideas on how they can advertise and promote Michael Jordan. And this is before any basketball player had their own uh, their own line, their own clothing line, and so on. So they had ideas such as sneakers, headbands, sweatbands, shirts, and more. And remember, this is even before MJ had started in the NBA. So, Phil Knight and his team at Nike, they had come up with some great ideas for that period in time. However, another plan fell straight into their laps, where they quickly adapted and it paid off immensely. Back then, the world of sneakers was very boring. Just like when I was playing football, like growing up, I I, I got my dad to buy me, you know, new white Adidas Predators with the red tongue and stripes down the side, um... You know, I I liked all like the the, the flashier the Nikes, like everyone does now. The, the flashier shoes that came came out. But my dad, he would go on about how football boots are supposed to be traditionally black and white, and you know you should make your skills do the talking. Well, fast forward now, and people's football boots they basically look like fluorescent disco parties. Like, look at Cristiano Ronaldo's. But it was the same thing with basketball. The standard running shoe was mostly white in colour with like small aesthetic logos. But that was about to change because of MJ. It turned out that when MJ and Nike decided to debut the, the fresh new look of Air Jordans, they did not fit the NBA guidelines. The Air Jordans, which which uh, everyone had no doubtly seen. With uh, you know that they've got the iconic red and black swish uh, with the cream laces. Well, they were actually banned from the NBA for being too colorful, especially when at that time all other shoes were mandatory white. Well, what what happened? MJ he would wear them, and it created a massive stir and a great amount of publicity for Michael Jordan and for Nike. So, Phil Knight and the team at Nike, they couldn't have been happier with all the publicity and, uh, you know, yeah, all, all the news articles coming out. Everyone, like, focusing solely on uh, Michael Jordan and his shoes. But what happened, MJ, he was feeling a little bit insecure with the situation as he was started he started to get fined $5000 by the nba per game and he thought it may tarnish his his reputation and his brand so nike they assured to mj that they would pay for every single penny of the fines what a marketing move by nike so what happened mj continued to wear the shoes and It would have cost Nike millions and millions of dollars to come up with another promotion which produced anywhere near the amount of publicity that they were getting. And uh, what happened? The first 50,000 pairs of Air Jordans sold out immediately. So this marketing strategy proved to be one of the greatest rebellious marketing moves of all time, which drove more than $150 million in sales. So... If you want to learn more about how Phil Knight built Nike and turned it into a, cur- a currently valued $34.8 billion company, that's what Nike is currently valued at, $34.8 billion. And uh, this was pretty much built entirely by, by Phil Knight and like it-, it started off as Blue Ribbon, a different company. But if you're interested in that kind of stuff, 100% give the book Shoe Dog a read. It's the book Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Absolute banger. But some takeaways which I took from Phil Knight and how he created the largest and most iconic sports company in the world. Firstly, don't be scared to break the rules. Running a publicity publicity stunt like that broke the NBA's rules, but it made a huge impact for the success of Knight. Um, Phil Knight, he even had to pretend that he represented a company back in his early days when he was in Japan, trying to get, uh, you know, import and export set up with, with, uh, companies in Japan, but like distribution with them. But, uh, he didn't actually represent anybody. Um, so yeah, you need to, you need to break some rules. That's what, what I've learned of Phil Knight. That doesn't mean breaking the rules, going and looting, but... In a business case, you know what I'm saying. Secondly, learn to negotiate. If Nike... If they didn't know how to negotiate, persuade, and close MJ on being a Nike athlete, they wouldn't even have gotten themselves in such a position. So, Phil Knight, he started off as a encyclopedia salesman, where he failed miserably. Like, obviously, there's there's born salespeople who were just born, and they can sell ice to Eskimos. But, like... You can, you can train someone to be a good salesman and be able to communicate and sell themselves. So Phil Knight started off and he, he failed miserably. His second job, he was selling securities where he was mediocre, he got a little bit better. And then when he went to sell shoes, something that he was completely passionate about, he was able to become a master closer since he was so passionate and believed in his product, in his story, and he, you know, he had vision of where it was going. Okay, so that's something to take away, you know. Work out what product are you working on. Do you have a little project? And secondly, what are you passionate about? Because obviously it makes a big difference. But thank you for listening. Adios puttos.